Yes, sir. First we gonna rock, then we gonna roll, then we let it pop. Go, let it go. <laughs> Ready, gonna give it to you. We gonna give it to you. Yes, sir. Put them X's up. First show since the passing of the legend. <laughs> so we gonna salute X. Salute to Black Rob as well. Yeah, we we losing too many legends, man. But we we gonna remember them. We gonna keep they keep them alive in our hearts, man. But we also gonna keep alive one of the best shows, talking ball on this hit in the nets. That is the Running with War show. Back at it after a little a break from last week. I am your host Kyle Means. Back at it after a couple weeks off myself. I had to, you know, take care of some personal things. But uh, you know, I'm back in the I'm back in the in the mix and uh in the mood to to talk some ball with my guys here. You see up there at the top, Gabriel Wilkins, back at it again. Of course, he's part of the rotation. If y'all don't know, he's official runner. And uh Josh Hicks and Drew all the you know down in the post as they uh they tend to do. We play positionless ball here. Um, <laughs> You know I'm running with war, but uh, you know we like I said we back at it, man. It's been uh, like I said a couple weeks, uh, playoff hunt, getting uh, you know getting uh, as fiery as ever. You know teams are fight battling for position, and you know Chicago here. We thought we was gonna get a little more of that type of action than we were uh, than you know that we've gotten in in the in the meantime. You know. Uh, since the trade deadline, you know, energized. I think that was maybe the last time I've been on the show when uh, right after the trade. And, uh, you know, it hasn't been much going on since then. So we're going to delve into that definitely. Uh, you know, like I say, just what the hell is up with the Bulls right now. But, you know, I, we're going to talk about some good things as well. You know, Steph Curry, uh, talk about uh, some of the good teams that are maintaining their position and doing well in both the East and West, of course. Uh, you know, maybe uh, delve into some other spots as well. You know, the uh, uh, the sky continue to look good in the offseason, picking up Lexi Brown this week. You know, a lot, of, a lot of interesting things going on in the world of basketball. But first off, you know, I want to – I'm trying to establish this on the show, the tip-off segment here at the top of the show. You know, any quick hits, anything that jump out to you guys that, uh, you know, uh, that you know, amongst the, the NBA or elsewhere in the world of basketball, with anything that's on you guys' mind? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about uh, a tweet that I saw earlier today that I passed along to the to the crew regarding maybe Jamal Crawford being a Hall of Famer as actual discussion. Um, okay. So – I know yeah, I know that's something you ride with. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my guy. I love Jamal. I literally, especially in college, actually tried to model my game off of him when I was playing college basketball. Um, that's part of what they called me when I was hooping. So because of that, it was like, you know, Jamal's always been my guy. You want to talk about Hall of Fame, man. I mean, you got to have a certain standard when you talk about who gets inducted into the elites of the elite, right? And as much as Jamal is my guy, and I love Jamal, 
He ain't got no he ain't got no all stars to his resume. He ain't got a championship in his resume. He's he will always go down and arguably the best six man ever to play the game. Um but you're talking about Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers, they have at least all star appearances. When you talk about Hall of Famers, they at least have championships. When you talk about Hall of Famers, they have at least all NBA status. You have and things of that sort. Jamal doesn't have it on his resume. So is he gonna go down as one of the as one of the best players on as far as you know, six man coming off the bench or being known as an elite as an elite scorer or ball handler with the what arguably the best handles in the game? Yes, most definitely. You definitely gotta give him his props for that. However, you wanna talk about a Hall of Fame status? I'm gonna slowly roll a little bit on that one, guys. And that and it's sorry, it's hard for me to say that because I'm such a huge Jamal Crawford fan. Yeah. Since he got got into the league playing for the Bulls as a rookie, leading up to the different teams that he's played for throughout the throughout his years. And the dude can still ball. Don't get it twisted. Jamal can still ball. He did end uh, his, I want to say, two seasons ago um, with the Phoenix Suns, his last game with the Phoenix Suns. He had 51 points. I mean, dude can still ball. But you want to talk about Hall of Fame status, man? Yeah. I'm going to slow your roll on that one, man. Y'all got to slow down. Especially since now they're talking about Jamal Crawford being a Hall since in that discussion. Or in that tweet, you know, in the comments, I think I saw, saw someone else say, oh, yeah, Jamal's a Hall of Famer, and if so, so is Lou Williams. And if you want to compare those two, yeah, I can't compare Lemon Pepper to, you know, somebody, somebody like Jamal Crawford. You want to talk about Hall of Fame status right there. I can't do that. <laughs> to me, I just can't do that. Uh, so, I don't know, man. Some, it's nice to have some discussions like that, but let's, let's slow the road a little bit on what you consider – a Hall of Fame, because Hall of Fame is a whole different type of level and status when you're talking about the elites of the elites, especially when you're talking about All-Stars and championships. I mean, you, you got to keep the standard the standard, and Jamal has to fulfill that type of standard, even though I love that type of talent that he brings to the table and what he's brought to the league for so long and so many years. I, I appreciate that, you know, that, an, that an analysis there because it shows that you are a measured – uh, you know, a viewer of the game because a lot of people, especially online, they get out and they 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 root themselves in their stands and they just you know do go off on tangents and and put out bad ideas and bad opinions just because they have you no know, they have a, a particular fondness for a player or a certain type of play or whatever like like I say you know like you say. And I know this because I've, I've edited a lot of your writing to this and I've engaged in discussions with you to this degree. Like, you know, he, he you know, Josh really messes with uh, with Crawford, with you know. But, you know, to be able to admit that he's not quite that level of player, you know, like, like it, that means that he that you care about the game more so than your opinion or even your favorite player. And that's a good thing. And, you know, to that, you know, you, you mentioned players like uh, Crawford, Crawford, you know, and uh, Lou Williams, and there's plenty others out there. I think, I think to that degree, we should have a hood basketball hall of fame, you know, spring, you know, you, you know, don't put it in Springfield, put it in, you know, one of the, <laughs> you know, one of the hoods here in America, you know, we got, you know, I don't know what what we have it in Chicago, man. We have it in one of the parks or something, man. But I don't know. We 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 could have it, you know, in New York at at uh, at the Rucker or something like. 
just those players that like say that the hood loves that gets those those uh you know that our type of basketball fans and, and appreciate overall you know that would definitely be something that uh Jamal Crawford would be in among others you know and then Lou Will definitely representing Atlanta so yeah like I say Jamal Crawford an amazing player he should be in the league right now like you say Josh but no he's not he, he doesn't belong in Springfield not with his resume as it is but you know what's crazy with, with Jamal Crawford? Like, he's only about, I want to say, 35 to 40 points away from 20,000 points. And I don't think wow. he's been coming off the bench as long as he, he has. Close. And him and Lou are probably, like, up there as one and two. is like top all-time bench scores. Overall, amount of six-man awards they have between them. I mean, I think that. They got an argument. They definitely not first ballot. And if it was a hood basketball, you, you can't have one without Jamal Crawford. The dude loves basketball. He has his own program in Seattle and so forth that he's been running for years. And he's well-respected across the game with guys from his era or that were older than him and even current era today. But, man, that, that, would, that would be an interesting argument and conversation to have, I think, at least five to six years down the line. When you know the end of the book is officially written, and it's time to assess because he has a very if a guy like Jones could get from the in the eighties who was a great player in his own right, I think Jamal and guys like they got arguments too. Mm. Okay, uh, yeah, we can definitely. You know, argue all that's that's one of the great things about these type of discussions. You can if you can formulate an argument if you know the game well enough and you know the history like Gabe does, and you and you recognize that there are some borderline people in in the in the hall from every era. You know, yeah, put no put up your argument and let's see let's see what, uh you know where we can put these players. That's the point of the Hall of Fame to uh categorize and, and contextualize who were the greatest players in the game, who made the impact on the, you know, the most impact on the game. And I wonder, like, you know, I think with players, you mostly measure them by what they did on the court. Like, you know, in with, with the, with the Springfield, you, you know, you can actually measure players by what they did in high school, college and the pros. But there also are people who've contributed to the game in a general sense. And Gabe brings up something like the Seattle Pro-Am, which has become such a, uh, so associated with Crawford. You know, I wonder if something like that could be factored in with a player's overall impact on the game of basketball. Internationally, too, if we talk about international players, uh, you know, the Olympic play and international play, FIBA and stuff like that often gets factored in as well. So, yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely uh, a lot of directions you can go when you talk about uh, a player's impact in their final resting place as a legacy, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when you talk about what Gabe's mentioned, I guess the argument that we that people like us should be able to have is, can, you, can this person, can you tell the storyline or tell any type of story from an impact perspective that this player can can bring 
that's worthy of the Hall of Fame. And Jamal Crawford does in some sense. You want to talk about his handle. He's one of the, he's one of the people that implemented the sham, uh, not just the sham guy, but the dribble between your legs behind the back twice, leave your player completely clueless and defenseless, especially when you talk about the handles and his performances in the game. You know, he, that's what made Jamal Crawford's game pop out, aside from the fact that from breaking his ankles, he was able to score the way that he was able to score. If you, you really can make an argument that prior to Kyrie Irving coming to the league, he was arguably the Kyrie Irving. Um, from you talk, when you talk, from, talk about a combo guard perspective of being able to run the point guard, but also have the handles that he has, the handles that he has, and shoot the ball and score the ball at the efficiently at the efficient rate he's been able to do. And he and what makes it even more crazy is he did it from the bench. He did it as a starting guard. He did it as a bench as, as a bench player and a six man. And he's able to been. He's been able to excel, especially on those good teams. We talk about the legendary Atlanta Hawks teams. We talking about the um, the Clippers, uh, Lob City teams. Um, he had a, he had a positive role and impact on the game during those eras that really made his name and his brand over, overall with the skill set stand out. I want to say he's the only he's the only player to score fifty points, fifty plus points on four different teams. Um, that's something that's part of the story. With that can get you to the uh, the Hall of Fame because it's a story that not many people are able to fulfill. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a story that not many people can you know add to, and he's one of the few people to do that. On top of the six man uh, winning awards, on top of what redefining what it is to really be a hybrid guard or a combo and a combination point guard. Um, that's a, like like Gabe said. That's actually a tough argument to have when you talk about enlisting his name in the Hall of Fame. Is it going to be enough, though? That's my question. Like, that's, that's what gets me. Is it going to be enough? As a fan of Jamal Crawford and his, and his game, and how much I love what everybody brought to the league, is that going to be enough to get him in a pool where eliteness from an all-star, all-NBA, scoring, uh, scoring records and um, championships and things of that sort are all things that are currently against him right now? And even, and it's an interesting fact that Gabe brought up the you know the fact that he only he's only a few hundred points away from being a twenty thousand point scorer, which is legendary. That's awesome. Is that going to be enough to get him in the hump though? I don't think that's enough to get him through. But yeah, Gabe's right. That's a pretty tough argument to have considering he you can't tell an NBA storyline, especially when it comes to different eras of basketball, without Jamal Crawford's name in it. Yeah, that's the type of thing that new. That type of argument that you produce, you know, Gabe and Josh, that's the type of stuff that nuanced, you know, observers of the game can provide. I don't know how much nuance we provide with the Hall of Fame. It's usually a cut and dry thing, you know. Uh, but, you know, I think in the end, like like you said at, at the beginning, Josh, it's hard to argue for that level for him given the lack of all-star appearances the lack of championship appearances and, you know, of course, championships. You know, the it's interesting you mentioned like a Kyrie. Like, uh, imagine Kyrie. Kyrie is almost certainly going to be in the Hall of Fame. But imagine if he never played with LeBron. Imagine if he struggled, continued to struggle with those, cis, those Cleveland teams that were winning like 15, 20 games before LeBron got there and, and you know, and 14 and got back there in 14. And, you know, if he, if he didn't get the chance to make that shot 
in the in the game seven against uh, the Warriors and have that sort of championship moment attached to his legacy, you know, maybe he would be the equal of a of a Jamal Crawford, you know. I don't know, and that, you know, if, if Jamal had that sort of thing in his career, would he be? You know, he would probably be, uh, you know, a, 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 a definite Hall of Famer. You know, that's how the that's how the ball bounces. Though. But uh, yeah, let's uh, you know, any anything else you guys want to jump out on with uh with the tip off? Oh, uh, just just real quick, man. We're talking about legacies, and um, on Monday it came out that uh, Kobe Bryant's estate and Nike, that their five-year deal had expired. Um, and Vanessa, you know, has, has broken away. At least for right now, I guess there's still some wiggle room for them to possibly get another deal done. Um, you know, we talk about a guy with a legacy and, and, you know, not just on the court, but off the court. You know, a lot of, a lot of players are wearing his shoes, have been wearing his shoes. Um, I think it's something like 20% of NBA players last year were wearing them. WNBA players are wearing them. Um, so, you know, to see where this goes, uh, so I think there's a limited amount. I think Nike is able to, they still can sell whatever they've made to this point. There's no, um, I don't think there's any specific timetable, but, you know, once that sells out, you know, his online merchandise is, is you know, going to disappear. Uh, so now you have guys in the NBA who are probably going to try to get their hands on every pair of shoes they can, they can get, and then either they are going to play in them or keep them. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where this is going to go. I guess in, 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 a, in a grander sense, it's not a huge deal, but, you know, you, you associate guys with brands. Um and for him not to have gotten like a lifetime or uh, lifetime, a long-term uh, lifetime contract like LeBron and, and Jordan got um, is a little, it's confusing. It's confusing, man, given the type of player that he was. And again, what he's meant to the game and continues to mean to the game, especially these young guys who, you know, in interviews, they always kind of big them up, always talking about mama mentality. Like, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so I just something to keep an eye on moving forward. I know that uh, Vanessa Bryant is uh, wanting to continue producing uh, some of his merchandise. Um, I think before he passed, he was uh, looking toward um, creating his own Mamba brand. So yeah, we'll we'll see where things go from here. And that's they've secured that copyright, right? Like. For a Mamba copyright yeah. or something like that. So they yeah, they've yeah. got the Mamba and they've got his signature. The only thing they don't have, from what I read, is the little sheath logo that belongs to Nike. Okay. They got the Mamba in his signature. And like you said, it's, it's interesting that they have that they didn't lock him down, lock his you know, lock things down with his estate, especially in the wake of his passing. You know, do you think that's you know? A, a lot of money that's going to come in, you know, and maybe the family in thinking that probably was like, well, we don't want to, we want to have control of that part of, of, of that logo and that, that, uh, uh, branding, you know, so it's, yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting what, I, whether that's going to stand alone or maybe they'll pair, I don't know if maybe they'll pair up with another, uh, you know, an, another, uh, apparel company, 
But, you know, like you say, Drew, there's, there figured to be a lot of money involved in, in that Mamba branding going forward. Yeah, and I, I'm sure uh, maybe on, you know, looking at it from Nike's perspective, maybe they figured that, you know, because his shoes are pretty much strictly about on-court, you know, you, you got a guy like Jordan, everybody's trying to copy his shoes. Uh, it's, it's a fashion value to it, whereas Kobe's lines is not really that component. Um, but yet and still, his shoes sell out, you know, the, the, the limited quantities that seem to come out. They seem to sell off the shelves very quickly. So it's it's weird, man. It's, it's a weird kind of... Uh, Coin flip there, a double double-edged sword going on. Hmm. Uh, Josh, gang, I'm not shocked any thoughts on that? that he didn't sign a, yeah, I'm not shocked that he didn't sign a, a lifetime deal with Nike. Thinking about the way in which Kobe moves and operates, I think he was very pleased with the way in which Nike was managing his brand as he ended his basketball career. Like, you got to think. It's only what LeBron, Giannis, Paul George, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. Those are like the five guys that have their shoes that are active players in the NBA with Nike basketball. And Kobe was the lone retired player. So while he had a lot of respect in the league and guys and players were wearing his shoes from the likes of DeMar DeRozan, the P.J. Thugs, the Devin Bookers of the world, and so many others, I don't think he was pleased with the way in which they were managing the brand. And the one thing that makes Kobe's situation with Nike so unique compared to Mike's and LeBron, Michael and LeBron were Nike from day one. A lot of people yeah. always forget, you know, Kobe started out with a D. You know, Arn Teller yeah. and them, his, his agent at the time, before he went to Rob Palenka, they signed with Adidas. And, and, and the crazy eight, which is what they rebranded it now that he's no longer affiliated with the Adidas brand, was really the Kobe one. So I'm pretty sure that's what Nike's going to probably have to do. They're going to have to figure out a way to get creative in regards to how do we put Kobe's shoe on the market without actually having his name on there. Sort of similar to like what Reebok was trying to do with Frank Thomas's shoe, the big hurt that was real popular back in the day, and they was bringing it back out as a retro a couple of years back, even though they went to court over that. And it, it and it got kind of ugly between both parties. So I'm not shocked that he didn't want to sign with them. And I think Kobe and Vanessa's probably gonna seek to do the same thing. I wouldn't be shocked if they try to turn that Mamba name and all those trademarks and utilize that into creating a brand. They already had the, the, the sports academy name bathroom, even though they removed it. I think that might have been part of the reason why they removed it, because they know that his estate holds significant value. Okay, definitely. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That yeah, he wasn't a, a he, he he would have never been a career Nike guy because he started, you know, with with Adidas. So you know that's sort of like a prodigal son thing. That you know, <laughs> you know, maybe Nike was just like, hey, you know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't you wasn't born into this. So you know, we'll let you we'll let you go on about your business. You know. Now, now that said, it's hard to get a shoe with the swoosh. What's that? I said it's hard to get a shoe with the swoosh. Man, now that that being said, it's like though, trying to get a record deal as an artist, for real. <laughs> yeah, and I, that, yeah. I didn't think about how few guys when you until you just rattled it off. How few guys do have an exclusive shoe with Nike? I would have thought it was 
it'll have been more than that. But the majority of even star players in the league, they just wear other people's shoes or they wear Jordans or something, you know. Yeah. yeah. Now, I was going to add that, um, you know, that being said, uh, Nike was one of the few um, sponsors to or brands to stick with him uh, during the whole Colorado oh, yeah. and everything. So, yeah. yeah. But do you remember how they did him, though, when he had the case? Do you remember what, how they did him? He is technically like the Kobe one, but they didn't brand it in his name, but yet that. I was really Kobe shoot. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Kind of waiting for it to blow over, but not quite one foot in, one foot <laughs> yeah, over. Yeah, that's exactly what they yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nike has always been good with sticking with athletes when they go through, you know, real life situations, even including poor cases, things that sort. You can look at Tiger Woods as a prime example. He he went through, even though they did drop him at one point, they brought him back. And you saw how that marriage, you know, re, you know, was reconciled to a point where he's still there now. Um, I mean, so I'm not surprised at that. I, I just think I think it would be a disservice that Nike didn't bring, you know, renew the contract. Um, considering, you know, the legacy and what Kobe really brought to Nike, especially when you talk about an advertising perspective. Um, when they when they, they talk about the commercials that he did with Kanye West, you know, be better. Like you know, things of that sort. Like the memorable, the memorable um, Nike commercials with him and LeBron at the puppets, or the, as the Muppets per se, uh, during uh, for the past couple of years. And you know, those type of things really helped take Nike's game to the next level, especially during that era where Kobe was it was was at the you know tail end of that prime, still winning championships, and LeBron was the upcoming guy getting taking over that mantle, like. Th those were memorable things, that, at least as, as me growing up as a kid, watching those things, it's like, dang, how can you let that go? You know what I mean? That's such a memorable, mem memorable part of my of our lives. Um, I, I just wonder, though, as far as why Vanessa backed off from the deal, from the opportunity. I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that they wanted to combine the Mamba brand with that Nike and Nike was, and Nike, Nike might not have, you know, wanted that to happen. I wondered if that had something to deal with that, considering, you know, like Gabe mentioned, Kobe wanted to eventually have his own brand. He was working towards, you know, branding his his product. And although that is Nike's product, Kobe's imprint was in that product, and it sold at such a rate that you can't ignore his impact on Nike and what he brought to the table with that. So I wonder if. She wanted this. I wanted the family wanted to combine that all that into one, to where he's still with Nike for the long term. But at the end of the day, you got to imprint the Mamba mentality. You got to imprint the Mamba brand on that actual shoe and sell it as a retro. And I don't know if Nike wanted really wanted to do that because the only person that really can do that or wanted to do that is Michael Jordan himself. And you can't compare that type of that type of you know, shoe line legacy to Jordan and what Jordan has, considering, especially when you talk about the Air Jordans, that's a whole nother level of comparison. That's not, that's not, you can't compare. So I wondered if that was brought to the table and if it was, if Nike was like, you know what, we're not, I'm not, we're not going to mess with that because that's not going to impact us the way that it impacted Michael Jordan. I mean, even, even, even though they brought us, they even brought us some retro LeBrons, I, I think at one point, where it's like this first or second shoes, or we're considered retros now, but they're not reselling or selling like Jordan. So 
I wonder if that was brought to the table and and why and if that played a role as far as why Vanessa didn't want to renew that contract or that long-term contract with Nike. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting, Josh. Well, well said there, man. You know, um, we started off the show, man, uh, shouting out DMX and um, uh, Black Rob, and I'd be remiss, uh, you know, to, to not bring this up, but apparently another legend has passed, uh, Shock G from Digital Underground. Uh, yeah, it's uh, spread out on Twitter now. You know, uh, Shock G, amazing artist, man, the Humpty Hump. You know, uh, Humpty Dance, you know, that was everywhere back in, you know, that was before your time, Josh. That's, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that 1990, you know, Digital Underground was killing and they, you know, brought brought Tupac to the world, essentially. And, you know, uh, Shock G made some amazing music, man, as a beat maker, as a, as a lyricist, a performer. He was a, a funny, entertaining, thoughtful guy. And, uh, you know, RIP to him, man. So, man, it's it's, it's rough, man. I, I don't know. I just don't understand it, man. Why so many of our legends in hip hop, you know, go out like this? You know, these brothers not even reaching, you know, sometimes 40, 50, 60 years old. You know, he was a uh, fifty-seven uh, shock was. So, you know, I really uh really hate to bring us down, you know, a little bit there, but you know, I have to shout it out. You know, um, definitely R.I.P. the Shock G. And, um, you know, as we continue the show, though, man, uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I was going to bring my, uh, I guess, to, to make things a little positive, talk about something positive. My tip-off thing, essentially, was going to be about the Knicks, uh, you know, who uh, won eight in a row. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's – they're alone in the number four spot in the East. And, you know, this season to me uh, a while back was seeming to, I, I, it was, it seemed to be like a dual thing. Like a, there was going to be a, 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 a race back to legitimacy by both the Knicks and the Bulls. The Bulls have <laughs> since fell back, but the Knicks have kept going. And, uh, you know, we've, we sort of, you know, watch from afar. You know, we have a, you know, a little bit of emotional tie here in Chicago uh, with with that team because they're coached by Tom Thibodeau and they have their roles amongst their ranks. And, you know, a couple months ago, we was worrying about where would Derrick Rose be at, at the end of this season? Would he be involved with a team that's in the playoff hunt? And, and, uh, you know, that's going to be the case. Derrick Rose is going to play some meaningful games to uh, end the stretch of this season. He's going to play with the New York Knicks. And he's been he's been uh, contributing thus far, you know, since he's been there. So I don't know if you guys had any thoughts just on this team having this this current eight-game streak that they're on. Are they, a, are they a dangerous team? And, you know, do you mirror them in any way with the Bulls? You know who you know we're going to go into after this, like who just who haven't picked up themselves in the way that the Knicks have. I just I don't want to stay too long in this topic because I'm I'm going to bleed into the Bulls a little bit. I want to say that sure. when we get to it, but um, <laughs> obviously happy for D Rose, happy for D Rose, happy for Tom Thibodeau. Man, I think Thibodeau got a lot of slack for the amount of minutes he was playing guys 
with when he was with the when he was coaching the Bulls throughout his tenure with us, Minnesota. You know, that's always the kind of the knock on him. Um, when I when I put them up against the Bulls, I just wish, man, that somebody on this Bulls roster, man, had basically, man, had the balls to I'm just gonna say had the balls balls to cut to call guys out, man, and hold hold guys accountable. Um, to to stop with the whole post game, man. We just didn't have it tonight, man. We came out lackluster. Um, you know, we just didn't have the energy. Like, what is that, man? Like, this is a franchise that ain't been to the playoffs in a minute. Zach Levine hasn't won more than three games in a row his whole. I want to say his whole Bulls career, maybe his whole career, but one or the other. Um, definitely the Bulls career. Um, so for them to for them to lack that fire. It's really disheartening, but to shift it back to New York, um, I don't know how much of a threat they really can be, even though they've been one of the top defenses um, in the league this whole season. Uh, obviously, the calling card of Thibs, but just against those upper echelon teams in the East, um, who they obviously wouldn't have to face in, until that second round if they advance past the first round. I don't, I don't, I don't see them really making too much noise um, past the first round. But even that is saying something, um, given the the drought that they've had in the postseason. And and yeah, that's a that's a decent way to look at it. But and, and like you say, with Tibbs though, and that team, I think they are ranked number one in total defense or whatever rating in the league. So with that, but at the same time, I just yeah, I just watched a segment on. Um, ESPN the jump where they mentioned they were their top ten or number one I think in def- total defense, but bottom ten in scoring, which <laughs> it, it makes sense for Tibbs teams as well. But you know what you get with Tibbs teams is defense, no lack of effort, no wasted effort, and they always seem to play up to competition. Whereas you know with the Bulls we've seen so often since then. They've always played down the competition, mm-hmm. so I think with that being with that being the case, I could see the Knicks at least maybe getting maybe upsetting. You know, if if they're the four and the five, if they're the four and the four or five matchup, maybe it's not an upset. But they, you know, them getting to that second round, I think is could be very uh, you know feasible, and you know there'll be a, a heck of a turnaround. For that franchise in one season, you know, it'd be it's it's the perfect thing for them, you know, that you know we, but we you know we've seen one season turnarounds with that franchise before, and they turn right back around the next season to be a sorry again. But the promise is there now, you know, with with their, uh, you know, they had a, a a restructuring of their front office that just was was just as extensive as the Bulls again, and comparing them to the Chicago uh, team in Chicago and they changed their coach. They changed their rock. Well, they didn't, they changed their roster. The Bulls didn't change their roster until a couple weeks ago, but you know, they changed their roster over the, uh, the, the last post uh, off season. And, you know, they got a guy like Randall now who has established himself as an all-star very much in the way that, uh, you know, Zach Levine has here. So it, they got a lot going for them, man. And, the, you know, definitely I can't ever say that I'm rooting for the Knicks. <laughs> That's just the 90s kid in me. But, you know, uh, 
they I, I, I would say that the NBA is a little better when they're competitive and when their fans are feeling themselves to a degree. Because the fun thing about New York Knicks and New York Knicks fans is that they always overfeel themselves. Then they ultimately fail, and then we get to all make fun of them. So that's, the, that's what's fun about the Knicks competing, competing and contending. So that's, that's what I'm kind of hoping to see. You know, if they they go ahead, they hit the playoffs. We know they're in the playoffs. Let them go ahead and win a series, and then think that uh, they're gonna do something against uh, the 76ers or the Nets, or especially the Nets in the second round, and then <laughs> let them see, let them fall on their on their face, and then we'll all have a good uh, laugh at that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what tips teams do, right? Uh, tips teams are known for, you know, no, no lack of effort. You're going to play hard every night. You can keep the game close. And nine times out of ten, depending on it – really, it doesn't really matter who you got on your roster. You're going to put yourself in the best chance to win. And we saw that he with, with what he did here with Nate Robinson. He led he and Nate Robinson led the Bulls past the first round of the playoffs. Every, since yeah. he's, every team he's coached, for the most part, you know, they've made it past the first round of the playoffs, no matter who was on the roster. That's the, that, that's the difference between elite coaching and on the way to greatness in elite coaching. We have a coach in Billy Donovan where he knows what he's talking about. He knows what it's like to, you know, take teams to the playoffs and, and you know, exceed and turn programs in the right direction or franchises in the right direction. But that's a completely different animal when you want to talk about what he did with OKC and the, and the team roster that he had compared to what Tibbs is doing with what he had. That's a, it's a complete different uh, level of coaching, a complete different level of success from that coaching. And we often blame Tibbs for that, for his, you know, like his first style of coaching as far as his toughness and playing all these young guys and even old veterans, you know, large minutes and during games and things of that sort. But it's producing results. And the results have been completely positive ever since he's been a head coach, no matter where he's been. He's turned around the Knicks. He's turned, he turned around the Minnesota Timberwolves. You turn the bulls around, and that's that's all you can ask for as a head coach, especially if you give him the talent that he can work with. So this is the this, I just view this as typical Tibbs, the impact of, of Tibbs and his coaching style and the culture that he brings to to franchises and turn and helps turn them around into playoff success. And for for him to do it in New York, like LeBron, like LeBron James said, and you mentioned just now, Kyle, New York is always better when the Knicks are when the Knicks are winning, or at least in the positive direction. Um, it's been a long time, but hey, you know, we're here now and the Knicks are making noise and I definitely see them making an impact as far as, you know, you know, going past the first round of the playoffs, especially with the crazy season that everyone's having now. Um, I definitely can see that. And that's exciting, especially for Derrick Rose. He has to sniff the playoffs since Minnesota. Um, it's been a while for him and for him to be in that environment again, I think it's going to be really exciting. And I'm obviously I'm rooting for Derrick. Um and and Tibbs and what's and what can be taking place in New York because like like you said the, the future is it's promising especially when you have Tibbs as the head coach you have at least seventy million dollars worth of cap space heading into next season you know you can make some moves and I'm, I'm excited to see now that you got you know aside from Leon Rose you also have World Wide West there you know Knicks can do some damage after the, after, after this and what they had this season and it's kind of scary comparing to. You know, what, what the Bulls did for, you know, even though with the moves that we made, you know, offseason looks, looks, looks a little sketchy 
Um, so, you know, considering, you know, the, the, the Bulls and the Knicks, you know, contrast. Yeah, it's interesting. But, hey, New York's on a roll right now, man. And for them to go through that eight-game winning streak, have D-Rose really impact that eight-game winning streak, hey, it's not, you got to give your props to them. And it's, and it's exciting to see. Definitely. And, you know, again, making the comparisons, we, you know, we're about to go deeper into the Bulls, but on 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 our side, on this side here, you got uh, reports of Levine not wanting to pick, not even thinking about picking up an extension this year. And, you know, on the other side, you got the Knicks all tingly about uh, Zion saying that how much he likes to play in the garden, you know. It's actually it's a lot of it's a lot of fun stuff that's going to be overplayed in the media, uh, definitely uh, when you talk about the next year or so. But uh, yeah, I don't know what, what did y'all think about that right quick with uh, with Zion, his performance at the Garden, and him his quotes afterwards. Rook's still learning. He's still learning. Rook's still learning, man. I mean, and if you got and we, when you talk about putting it into the whole perspective, like we really shouldn't take too much into that quote. I mean, because let's be serious, everybody loves to play at the garden. Kobe loved to play at the garden. LeBron loves to play at the garden. Um, everybody Jordan. has better known that they that they love playing at the garden because the garden is just that legendary. It's part of the mecca of basketball. It's historic. You know, there's a lot of components that play into what makes the Madison Square Garden that much special, right? So that's a given. You know, of course, superstars love playing in Madison Square Garden in the history that comes because with it. Because I honestly, that's what first place. Like, I'm going to be real. I mean, game, his, his, he got it. He got his own play. RJ Garrett over there, and so forth. Okay, the gay connection a little bit low. See if he jumped it. See if it's getting better. Oh, you guys can jump in if you want. Um, I'm not. I'm not mad at uh, Zion's enthusiasm, man. You gotta love it. He just he <laughs> got the question. He answered it honestly. I'm just upset about, you know, what the media did and how they ran with it. Um, and I feel bad for New Orleans and other small market teams. Like, man, y'all just can't wait to get this dude to a big city, man. It's. it's I don't like it. I don't like it, man. I don't like it. It may. It gives me, you know, pause, and it makes me feel a, feel a way about how things ended with Anthony Davis and, and him leaving there. Not to say that you have to stay with the team that drafts you, but, um, man, if you're a small market team, like, it's almost like you just steady written guys, you know, um, unless you have the uh, the uh, foresight and the, and the luck uh, and the, the shrewdness of um, my man in OKC, man. Like, Sam Preston. Sam Presley, yeah, thank you. What what do you do, man? Yeah, or, yeah. or or superstar and Giannis who decides that he wants to to stay with the team that drafted him and 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 be down with them and try to make moves uh, in that regard. 
else. Yeah, I don't know, Gay. You may have to you may have to come come in and come uh come out and come back in, Gay. But uh Yeah, but uh yeah, well uh, I, I feel you, Drew, on what you say, you know, how hard it can be a little bit harder for the mid the mid um, mid majors as it were in the NBA or the, the small market teams. And it's interesting because you got now, right now, you got the top two teams in the in the West are sort of uh, smaller market teams in Utah and Phoenix. Not small, well, smaller. You know, uh, Phoenix isn't really a small market, but Utah, you know, you can't say is. And you know, uh, you know, the big, the biggest of the big markets, uh, you know, they have some competition amongst them, and you know. New Orleans, you know, I, I would love for, you know, New Orleans is a city, a great sports city, and Zion can definitely be a king there. But yeah, you always have that pull in 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 sports, and, and especially in the NBA, with uh, you know, guys just gravitate to New York or, or LA in one way or another, you know. So I don't know, yeah. I, I just love the overplay of it, though. In the <laughs> as soon as he said that, you know, everybody you knew that was going to dominate at least a day of NBA reporting. So, you know, it, we're nowhere even close to the end of his rookie uh, contract. So it's like, you know, he's likely going to at least extend one time. And you know, if you look at the way these things play out, he's probably going to extend at least once in New Orleans. It may be a short extension. But he's, you know, yeah, I would think he'll be there at least six, seven years before he even jumps. He even really gives himself a chance to jump to another franchise. But anyway, uh, then Gabe's going to, Gabe is attempting to come back on, re rejoin him. Uh, Gabe, how you doing, bro? You good? He is? That gave you your okay. <laughs> gave you good. I think the signal's a little better from what I've seen, but now I'll drop back down again. Right, we'll try to, we'll try to. Hope you can stay with us, Gabe. But let let's just go uh, into the bull, the bull stuff, as it were. <laughs> and I'm just gonna throw out my question, man, that I I put on the rundown. What the hell is wrong with this team, man? You know, approach it however you want to approach it. Like like, but I'm I'm gonna just now nah, I'm gonna start it for one. I'm gonna start like, why are they so bad against Cleveland? That's what I want to know. <laughs> They can't beat. They can't beat this team. Where for damn, not only can they, they can't even compete with them. It's like they get blown out every time they face them. What is it about the Cavaliers? No LeBron. LeBron ain't walked through that door. Kyrie ain't walked through that door. Uh, Nance ain't walked through that door. Hot Rod Williams, Mark Price, 
None of these dudes will walk through the door to beat these bulls. And they can't do nothing against them. I just don't understand that. Somebody got to tell me something. <laughs> oh, 87 Ron Harper ain't walked through that door. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, anybody's guess is as good as mine, man. They just beat them. What was that, like two days prior to the last game? I don't, I don't know, man. This, this team is sometimes beyond comprehension, bro. Like, seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I'm just like this, this, this has been the whole narrative with the Bulls since Derrick Rose and Jimmy Butler, right? You play inconsistent against the inconsistent teams. You you can't stay afloat. You always have to struggle to come back, come from behind and win. You can honestly make a case that the previous roster prior to trade, trade deadline was playing better than the current roster we got now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's and it's not – we know that the moves that they made were, you know, big-time moves for the future, but the problem was you're trying to win now. You made it clear at the trade deadline that you bringing in Vucevic, you bringing in Daniel Fiat, you bringing in Troy Brown and, and those guys. You made it known that we are trying to make the playoffs this year and not just the play-in. You're trying to actually make the playoffs as a, as a true validation of your status in the league. And yeah. – with Zach Levine being out due to, you know, the protocols and things of that sort. Kobe White still playing inconsistent basketball, up and down basketball. Um, trying to acclimate the new guys in your offense as far as how you even want to have a – how you want your offense even to flow. Because you still haven't resolved your point guard situation. Even though Troy Brown is a nice addition, he's, he's, he, you know, he hasn't been the full-time point guard for the Bulls. So you still don't know what, what you're – but your future's gonna be looking like from a point guard position. You're still trying to acclimate Vucevic, who is a double double nightmare and has an even triple double nightmare at times. But he's still trying to get acclimated to the offense. You got Daniel Theus, who does the great stuff, but outside of that, where else is your production gonna come from? It's it's really up and down, and the Bulls seem to accept off too many times. Ah, oh, well, you know, even though it's unacceptable, you know, we got another game to go. Let's so look at the next game, keep it moving. Sometimes got sometimes somebody has to be that dog and step in and say, nah, we can't do this anymore. Someone has to step up and be that alpha male to to to, to stop the bleeding, make a statement, and actually truly try to defy the bad habits that the Bulls are so accustomed to. Yeah. And we don't have that person. Now Zach Levine has the potential to be that person. Because he has that sort of, at times, especially offensively, Mamba-like mentality. I think we have the coaching staff that can get to that level of toughness when you want to talk when you want to talk about displaying that mentality. But it's non-existent. And I don't know if it's because even prior, even coming into the season, we knew that we were going to have a, front off, a new front office. We knew we were going to have a new head coach. We, we already suspected and put out there that this year was going to be a trial year anyways. So even though we're trying to make the playoffs, it won't be too bad if we don't because we already, you know, kind of limited expectations this season. I don't know what it is. However, this is not how good franchises are functioning. They're, they're trying to make the playoffs every year. They're trying, there's no excuses. And it seems like for us, we have excuses, but at the same time, we have less, we just have less Jim Boyle in press conferences. That's how yeah. I do it. <laughs> we, just, we just have that, less. That's, that is something. 
But it's it's that is and that is something because those boring press conferences were were murder. But but at the same time, like Drew said, we still got this all shucks type of thing. Like we playing for Mayberry or something. Like they got to get off that man. This this is like you say they need some more dog in them, and they need to they just need to compete better for one. You know, and the the mix of the the mix of how these players operate with each other, the rotations, the you know the the the, the chemistry, you know that's that's an ongoing thing that's going to be you know attended to more in the in all season. And I think the fact that we knew we did know coming into this season that this the whole season essentially was going to be a an observing season. Uh, it was a, a season of observance, you know. Uh, we was going to look at what this – the front office is going to look at what this team is and, and you know, see – you know, break it down to its components, individual components, see what's there to keep, what should we keep, what should we invest in, and what should we do away with. Now, but at – you know – you do get a whole season for that. You no, know, to be a reasonable fan, you know, maybe there's a contradiction there, but to be a reasonable fan, you you can't give this team, this franchise a year to do that. But when you make the moves that you made at the trade deadline, which were so, you know, they that was some surgical stuff that they did at the trade deadline. And uh, aside from getting rid of, uh, of uh, Laurie, they pretty much did everything that day that you would want in regards to, you know, getting an all, an, another all-star, an established all-star, getting some more defense in the post, getting some more, you know, more defense on the, uh, uh, on the perimeter with Troy Brown, a little more flexibility with him. You know, they did a lot that day where it was like – Okay, yeah, we could make a run here. You know, let's see what we could do in the East. The East, as it was at the time, I, I remember talking that night with you guys. Like, I think at the time there was like a three-game difference between the ten spot and the four spot. And now, so that was the time to strike. That was the time to establish yourself, to reestablish yourself. And while teams like the Knicks, like the Hawks, have done that. The Bulls have fall, only fallen further back. And it, to be it's like two, three spots further back than you were at that trade deadline is a failure. It's a failure uh, that has to be attributed to somebody. I don't know if it's the coaching or the players or some mix or, you know, or even, or even uh, you know, I don't, you don't necessarily want to go there yet because they're – you know, AK and Eversley and them, they weren't thinking just of these last 20, 30 games that were to come when they made those moves. They were thinking beyond that. But, you know, you those were the first games that you were going to play with this new roster. So you figured that you made these moves with those games in mind as well as 2022 and 2023 and such. So – you know, as it is right now, they they failed to guard themselves for a playoff run that was possible in 2021, and that's a disappointment. And now we you know we we go into it in a minute here. 
you know, the possibilities that exist with them not making the playoffs. There are some positives that could be gleaned from this. But, you know, the we've been waiting a long time to play meaningful basketball here in Chicago again. And to seemingly not do it again and not have another May and June where it's going to be dead here, you know, that's disappointing. Yeah, it, it, it's not a narrative in the right word, but I'm using it. It's not a clean narrative because you had these big deals being made and, you you know, you're swiping out five players for five new ones. And there's an adjustment period that's going to come along. Um, I think they were in the midst of a road trip. Uh, you got a, a weird season, um, limited practice time. So you have to take all that into consideration. But like you guys said, like the expectation went from – we're going to see what we got in front of us. You know, we just want to be more competitive, see what people can do in the roles that this roster forces them to play, the Kobe Whites of the world. Um, that all shifted when they played maybe past expectations and uh, when the starting lineup changed, when Connor uh, Sovis kind of made it known that he was, he was going to hitch the Bulls' future to Zach Levine with the trade for Vucevic and uh, Troy Brown Jr., Tice. When you do that now, and he said it clearly that it now it's about winning. It's not just about uh, next year, you know. When that happened, we're thinking, man, okay, maybe best case scenario, we vault up into that sixth, seventh range. Um, we understand that even though they made these trades, that there's still issues with point guard. There's still issues with defense. Some nights are going to be better than others, but it's not going to be fixed or not have the potential to be fixed really until next year. So the main thing I'm looking for is more competitiveness, and I want to know why is it that in these games that mean so much, in these games that are on paper, the ones that this team is supposed to win, why are these games so hard to get up for for this team that, that is supposed to be trying to, you know, make a run at this play in, playing tournament that's like I said before that's the most disheartening part um again these guys haven't been to the playoffs many of them haven't um I just I don't see that fight uh you guys call it that dog I think they need an asshole on this team like hmm. I, I legit and maybe it's happening behind closed doors I legit want to see somebody with some clout on this team a Zach Levine a Vucevic um man beyond that I don't know who, somebody that can demand that respect. I want somebody to pull another guy by his jersey, get him in check, get him in line, pull his car to a certain extent. Um, something, man. Like, where is the fire? Why is the fire coming out in the post-game press conference so often? Like, are you guys saying this to each other in the midst of the game or in the locker room? Don't wait to tell them to the media and the rest of the world. You know, by then the game is over. What, you know, what's the point? Mm. Yeah, that's um. Sorry to uh, cut you off, but pay back on Drew's point. That's what you want to talk about the different types of cultures, right? Same. You said go ahead, go ahead, guys. Yeah, I mean, like, welcome, welcome to life in the NBA. With a young team, okay, yeah. Like no disrespect 
He's an all-star in the league, but he's never he's in basketball. You know, and and they and, and like side of that and Vucevic and maybe Gary Temple. They don't even have guys like you said who've been in the playoffs. Those type of guys on your roster, hard, hard vest to come in and instantly yeah that mix that, that mix is important definitely to have the experience the players who you know have that edge to them with experience and you know playoff experience is meaningful when you know how to play at, in those most pressurized games in the NBA, you know, playing those games in the regular season pretty much cake, you know, after a certain point, you know, and then you can utilize your experience to in, and pass it down to the younger players. But the Bulls are mostly younger players still at this point and younger players who haven't played many important games, you know, from Levine on down. So it's it, yeah, it's tough. I, I guess that's one of the reasons, or one of the has to be one of the reasons why they can't get up for a team like Cleveland, even at this important part of the season where every win counts, even more than they did a couple months ago. So yeah, it, yeah, that's um that that the, yeah between what you and Gabe said, those are all very valid points. But you also got to look at another direction, which I keep harping on, is coaching. I mean, the culture that's set up, you know, the coach mm. established the culture that's being set up in place. When Billy Donovan came into this league, he already stepped into a culture that was thriving with superstar talent and playoff success and deep playoff success. So for him to carry on that mantle, what was already established and given to him, you know, that was a, it was easier for him to coach, to get comfortable into coaching and coaching teams and at least keeping them afloat. We're talking about consistent playoff success as well as deep postseason success. The only exception that you can give him is maybe last year when he had with, just, with, with, with what he had with just Chris Paul. But even then, they took the Susan Rockets to the set to seven games in the bubble in the first round. And that's just also part of the Chris Paul effect because that's what Chris Paul does. He helps make teams better. Now you put him in a situation where he has a rising all-star, but that was pretty much it. It's rising all-star with a bunch of pieces. You know, you have to you have to coach things differently from what you're accustomed to at times to get the message and point across. That's why Tom Thibodeau is such a is such a vast contrast with what he's doing in New York. If you want to look at the roster perspective from the New York Knicks compared to what the Bulls had, especially at the beginning of the season, it's eerily similar. You had a rising star. And a rising star that's turning himself into an all-star like a Julius Randle. You had another, you had a draft pick that was very solid per se. And RJ Barrett, like the Bulls have a Kobe White. And it's just but it's just a bunch of other pieces. And yet Thibodeau is taking them to a higher height and currently sitting in the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, where the Bulls are struggling and have degressed, even after making all-star moves or big time blockbuster moves to improve them, but they digressed. And now they're sitting in the 12th spot in the Easter Conference. 
I, coaching plays a big role in that too. I, yes, you want to talk about effort and things of those sorts. You can't teach, you can't coach effort. However, you can demand effort and find different tactics to create the discipline needed in order to excel in those areas and beyond. That's what made Tim so good as a head coach. Billy Donovan has some of that, and it appears to have had some of that from success in Oklahoma City. At the same time, it's a different. This is a different team with a different roster than what he's accustomed to. So he's probably going through coaching pains as well. Even though he has the tactics, even though he has the philosophy, how do you implement that philosophy into a whole entire team with a roster that is so young, that is that doesn't have playoff experience, doesn't really know what it's like to be in a playoff hunt compared to Tibbs where, you know, a situation may be somewhat uniquely and they haven't sniffed the playoffs in a long time, but it's just a different dog mentality. It's a different um, coaching styles, a different culture and feel to where players are bought into that. And for the Bulls, even though they may be bought into it, it doesn't show up always on the court. I think coaching got to play a role in that too. Yeah. Do you, you know, I'll give – I'll throw this out to both of you, but, Drew, you can start out. You know, do do you think there's a reason – do you see any reason to re, uh, re yeah, reevaluate uh, Donovan as the coach of today and tomorrow for the Bulls, given uh, what's happened in these last few weeks? Um. I, I understand. I get the question, and I, I think it's there's some validity to that. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't second guess the hire. I don't second guess the hire. Um, I just think that this off season is going to be huge in terms of what this product is going to look like next year, and and who Donovan is going to have at his disposal. Um, And maybe the rest of this season or, the you know, the season to this point, uh, you know, Donovan's learning from this too. Maybe he's, he, he is able to see uh, kind of how he needs to push certain buttons with this team. Um, I've liked what he's done this season, aside from maybe some rotational things here and there, uh, which is a little bit nitpicky because I also like the fact that he's, he doesn't – he doesn't um, – fixes rotations based on you know being old to a certain player if a guy's got it going he's he's generally going to ride him um you know whether or not this guy has played this many minutes in, in the games leading up to whatever game they're in at that moment in time it doesn't matter uh he 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 tries to find different combinations he, he looks for answers on the fly um and we got to remember you know those first two games of the season blowouts against uh Atlanta and Indiana, he basically came out to the media and in so many words is like, man, you, you know, we talking about winning. I got I just got to teach these guys how to compete first. You know, we can't even talk about being a potential playoff seed or, or play in tournament birth without us just learning how to compete, just to not get hit in the mouth and, and, you know, double over, you know, there's got to be a fight to it. So, I don't know what's going to happen in this offseason. Lonzo Ball would be great, but Lonzo Ball is not going to solve what may be the bigger problem, which, again, is uh, accountability factor and um, 
just that dog, you know. I, I, I wish <laughs> I wish Chris Paul was cheaper. I wish uh, you know, Mike Connolly, he or Mike Connolly would would entertain the thought of coming to Chicago. But I mean, I guess that's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. Yeah. Yeah, we you know that type of veteran stewardship at that position would be nice. It probably would make a big difference. Like imagine, yeah. It, Imagining a Chris Paul or a Conley on this team, yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Or imagine, I don't know. It's interesting. I saw uh, this interesting piece on Complex this week where they redrafted the 2020 draft, and they actually they uh, they actually had Patrick P. Will stay with the Bulls at number four, but they had uh, Halliburton move up to number like two or three. He was before, you know, oh. which, which was probably where, you know, he, you know, when you look at the, the, the class right now, he probably, you probably could say he's top three at this point for what his production was. And, you know, you got Lon, they had Lonzo at number one. And I think Edwards at number three, but um, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, just imagine like, yeah, if, if they had got uh ball, um, Lamelo, I should say, not Lonzo. Lamelo or Halliburton in the draft, or you know, if they picked up Lonzo at some point. I don't know. You know, maybe things will be a little di- would be a little different, but that's probably the main concern right now. When you look at, uh, you know, who's they need a floor general, mm-hmm. and they need someone who can, uh, ex- you know, ex- execute the team's defense and offense and be a uh, uh, the right extension of what Donovan wants on the court. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. You know, in the, in, as this team is continually being built. Yeah, I mean, if it was, if there was anything I kind of second guessed, it was more so uh, who they got at the trade deadline. You know, I wrote. You know, I wrote a piece about um, just the, the overwhelming feeling of excitement that most of us had when we. Heard about that deal? Getting a a, a player of um, Vucevic's caliber—that's huge. But just in hindsight, um, you know, if you're going to be tied to Zach Levine, maybe a point guard should have been your first. Should have should have been where you look first. But again, you can only play the play the hand you're dealt. It takes more than one team to to uh, tangle in terms of trade talks and. Um, I think they were trying to get ball, but when Vucevic came about and they had to get rid of those, or not get rid of, but had to send out those protected picks, they're pretty much soured New Orleans on making a deal for yeah. um, in return. So, you know, uh, yeah. we'll see. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm still not, I'm not sour on the deal just because, like you said, Kyle, like we got to give it some time. Um, as disappointing as this season may end, like. There's still a whole offseason of moves to make, a whole new, a whole proper training camp and, and um, preseason and everything to get through. So there's still yeah. hope for the team. Um, I don't think fans, I think fans that are too quick to jump the gun saying that they made a huge mistake. I think that's that's you know, that's too much. That's too much right now, man. You gotta you gotta yeah. give it some time to breathe. As hard as it is, because we want to win now, but <laughs> I think, yeah, I think late April. Next year, you can be more definitive in your opinions with what happened, with what has happened now. 
But right now, you know, as bad as they are, I still, you know, like I like seeing Vucevic in the jersey. I like seeing them play f- for this team. I like they. I like a, you know, the get the, the guy from Boston. I like Troy Brown. You know, I like these guys on this team going forward. So you know, if you know, like I said, there's still some things that may be up in the air with Levine, with Levine, but. You know, this team next year has – they have a core that's ready to be built around. And, you know, give, like I said, given what the East is overall and, you know, given that we do know that our our team makers, our, our, our decision makers, they are active guys and they have some sort of smarts about them, you know, I have confidence that – by October of this year, they'll have a they'll have a some sort of reformat for this team that we can be confident in going into the next season. Now, if they play if they play along these lines, starting off you know through October, November, December, then we there's going to be rumblings and grumblings, rightfully so. But like I said. That we'll we'll get to that bridge and we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But right now, you know, like overall, if you get part of what's going to be looked at for next year, that could be, you know, a very possible and a good thing is this team may get what well, they can't if it's if it's a, if it's five or lower, they won't get anything because of the trade, but. God help us if they somehow get in the lottery and they get a top four pick. What what we talk? What, what we talk about? Jalen Suggs, Cade, come on, man. That's the type. That's that type of conspiratorial luck that people <laughs> think about with the NBA. Like people gonna be thinking that there's some plug with with the Bulls and 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 the offices in New York. If that happens, but I'll be glad to take it, you know. Yep, same here. So you know, yeah. we you never know, man. With this, if if that type of thing happens, then yeah, we all we all good again, you know. <laughs> so you know, like, like I say, just we we we'll take these lumps for now. You know, we Bulls fans, we Bulls observers, we've been taking lumps. We'll just go ahead and, and see what the future unfold uh, unfolds. You know? But uh, shoot, we uh, got a cu- little bit more time left here with this show. Uh, fortunately, Gabe won't be able to join us. He just has he has some issues with restream, man. I don't know. Every time we go on restream, he just he can't stay with us. But but uh, he'll be back on the show soon. But uh, uh, a couple of things. Yeah, I just wanted to, get, I, to jump into. Uh, I, I mentioned uh, Steph Curry. Like everybody. It's just been talking about him and his incredible run that he's been having. Now, you know, as it made a big difference competitively, you know, can't really say, but that's uh, some of that he can't control. Of course, they lose James Weissman, uh, you know, in, in recent times, and, and they're just not the same team that they have been in recent years. But he's still – he's playing – arguably as good a ball as he's ever played in his career, including his MVP years and all these sorts of, you know, 
hot takes and you know exaggerations and stuff has gone on about him. I don't know. I just want you, just what's you guys' opinion on you know how have you been observing this recent run with with uh, with Seth and uh, uh, Seth, <laughs> but uh, Steph and you know what what have you guys been taking from it? You you'll be surprised at what you see when you can stay healthy, right? Um, that was always the thing with Steph Curry. We we always knew he had the talent. We always knew that he can pretty much do this on do what he's doing now on any given night for a long stretch of the season. Recent years he's been you know unhealthy. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, and that obviously we know that comes from years and years and years of back to back years of going to the finals and you know playing against some tough t- Cleveland teams and against LeBron and trying to win all those championships. I mean that's part of the what that's part of what it means to be a dynasty. And they just took caught the tail end of those, of those things when it comes to those injuries. So Steph has been able to stay healthy. He's getting older. So, you know, he, he had to roll with the punches. But having a healthy Steph Curry is not just big for the Warriors, but for the league as a whole. Um, it enhances what the league promotes and what they need, especially on from a ratings perspective. And the Warriors is Steph Curry. I mean, whether you want to agree with it or not, you know, the Warriors will never be the Warriors without Steph Curry. He is the face and the brand of that franchise. So for him to do what he's doing, man, it's an, it's incredible. And I got to give it up to my cousin over there, man. I got to give it up to my, my, my light-skinned cousin over there because, you know, <laughs> he's doing big things. In, in, in the Bay Area, um, if anything, it's a good sign for Warriors fans because you're bringing that back into next season. Hopefully, you can have a fully healthy Clay Thompson. You're going to have a healthy James Wiseman. Depending on what moves you make this offseason, depending on what's going on and being rumored, you may bring in another guy that can pair with what you already have. And um, and then you can, you can keep stuff health, stuff healthy. You can keep Draymond Green healthy. You, the Warriors are right back in the saddle of competing for another deep run in the Western Conference. So, if anything, man, God help, God bless Steph. Because without him, I don't know what the league or the Warriors would do right now. It, it'll be, it'll be rough. And we gotta, and we have to appreciate his greatness and what he's bringing to the table every night that he's on the court. Yeah, it, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned like God bless Steph. Or you know, the league should be blessed with Steph. Because the thing is, like, they still scheduled them like an elite team this year as far as TV goes and everything. And, you know, nobody wants to see the Warriors without Steph. <laughs> but you could put him, you know, as long as you have him, you could put him on a Saturday night on ABC game and get all the type of excitement and, and uh, you know, that you want and, and just, you know, just have fun, you know, it's amazing just what he difference he makes, you know, uh, as a as a ball player, you know, in real time, you know, you just want to watch him, you know, play ball as much as you can. Now, I wonder, you know, Drew, if you want to get into this, like historically, though, people want to get into certain things, like you know, we talked earlier about the Hall of Fame and stuff and, you know, Jamal Crawford in particular, but, you know, the type of arguments that go across with Hall of Fame and stuff. Of course, Seth is, of course, a lot for Hall of Fame. Now, we talk about all-time great stuff with Seth, you know. People are sort of resigned to the idea that he's the greatest shooter of all time. You know, I guess, you know, it's really 
you know, how can you really argue that at this point of, you know, I would, you know, the, I'm the type that I would love to be able to just say a certain guy, you just throw certain people out there, but, you know, of, of the past, but, you know, he really, the, the, both the, the numbers are just so prolific. It's almost like what you see with Wayne Gretzky in hockey, you know, where the numbers are just so wild and inflated, you know, you know, that, you know, there's hardly anybody going to pass them up. You know, it, there's nobody's going to have the opportunity because nobody's going to be able to both throw up the shots that he, the number of shots that he has and hit with the regularity that he has. Now it's interesting because you could, you look at certain people in the past, like maybe a Larry Bird, you know, I, I saw something this earlier this week where I, I think uh, it said like, I forget this. Uh, I, sh I shouldn't even cite this because I don't have to. But it was something about the number of shots that were made. Uh, and, it was, like, he made more shots in a five-game period that, uh, you know, Bird did in, like, a three-year period. Like, it, it, was, it was something wild like that. But you, all, and you also have, like, the stats of uh, – you know, the number of 10 three-point games that he's had. And, you know, you know it, it's, it's just ridiculous stuff that we can cite with him and all the time. Now, like I say, how do we exactly look at that? Do we just look at that in sort of a Wilt Chamberlain-ish type way, which is interesting because, you know, he just reached uh, the all-time Warriors scoring record, which Chamberlain had. In a, in a ridiculous lesser amount of games than Steph played. But do we look at Steph as just a guy who played? And and to his credit, he initiated the change in the game that allowed for this these changes to happen where he's been able to inflate the three-point statistics. But do we give him all the credit for that, or do we just say, well, if other players had – been able to shoot the game, shoot with a regularity that he was. If coaches didn't handcuff people like Rick Barry and Larry Bird and Reggie Miller, maybe they would, and, and Roy and Ray Allen, maybe they would have had some similar numbers as well. How, how, how do you look at that? It's hard, man. It's, it's, it's tough, man. Uh, if for nothing else, just a different eras, man. It's just a different game, man. Uh, you know, offenses, it's kind of predicated on pick and rolls. And if you watch the games, man, those those picks are being set so high up on the floor, man. It's just – it's crazy to just think about where the game is going, where it's now more like, you know, getting to the rim or shooting threes, like that mid-range. You know, some guys are still pretty prolific uh, in that area of the floor. But uh, for the most part, man, that's, that's where uh, – teams want their bread and butter to come from, you know, case in point, Jim Boylan uh, in, the, in the time that he was here, you know, he, he wanted guys either shoot the three or go to the rim. Um, he was not a fan of the mid range uh, as it was, but um, it, it's hard to really, it's hard to put Steph, Steph Curry's place in the, in the, in the history of the game um, or hard to find a place. He's he's there. I just don't know. He's he's the greatest shooter that I've seen in my lifetime. Um, 
you know, along with the Burrs and the Reggie Millers, uh, Ray Allens of the world, uh, even the Mahmoud Abdul Raoufs of the world, man. Um, it was some great shooters that I've had a, the, the opportunity to watch, but um, Steph is, is in, a, in a league of his own, man. You, you mentioned the amount of games he's had in his career where he's hit uh, 10 or more threes. He's at 21 for his career. Um, by comparison, Clay Thompson has five in his career. We consider Clay Thompson to be uh, almost as prolific a shooter as, as his teammate. Um, yeah. So, I, and it, it's funny because if you look on NBA Twitter, man, I know um, our guy, uh, Brian Crawford, <laughs> I see him debate <laughs> Steph and Dame. Like, <laughs> Steph and Dame almost daily, man. Uh he he, he gonna down that hill with Dave, man. <laughs> yeah, yes he is, man. Uh, um, I accidentally kicked the uh, trash out. <laughs> oh, he's back. Okay, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That's. <laughs> I was say BC go. He gonna fight that fight to the death. Yeah, I mean, I, to Steph's credit, I think he's obviously he's re, he's revolutionized shooting guard position uh, or just shooters in general. Uh, like I said, like in terms of where the game is going and how far up those screens are being set and the amount of space that the ball handlers are having to work with. Um, he made it cool for Dame to fire those long bombs, for Trey Young to fire those long bombs. Um, even yeah. LeBron at times, for better or worse, <laughs> throwing up. 40 foot shots, man. It's it's just crazy because I know when I was when I was growing up, be the old man in the room for right now. Those shots, you throw, you throw that shot up. Even if you make it, you go in and sit by the coach after that. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Right, I'm right with you, Drew. <laughs> yeah, we, we didn't see stuff like that in the late no. 80s and 90s, man. Not at all. Yeah. Uh-uh. It's, it's 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 just it's crazy, man, where the game is going. It really is. Um I think it and, and even more uh Interesting conversation is how do you make sense of the all NBA teams, especially at the guard position and in the West? Yeah, it's a it's a lot of contra- <laughs> a, a lot of uh, people to choose from. We look at prolific scores and you know people who are leading teams and people like Chris Paul and yeah, it's, it's so many amazing guards in the game right now, man. Yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how those teams play out this year, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, um, funny, it's okay. almost like uh, my bad. It's almost like um, he's not as 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 wildly loved or hated like LeBron, but he still is. There's like almost no middle ground with with, with Steph. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it depends on like. How where where you stand on the line of what he's brought to the game? Do you or or you know yeah yeah I guess do you think that his role in the evolution or de evolution depending on how you look at it of the game is it inflated or is it not? You know because because yeah because you could have guys you you have guys who do look at other players who do similar things. Like you say, with BC and Dame, who swear more by those players overall because maybe they're a little better off off the dribble, 
or maybe they're more of a singular talent who has done more to lead a team on their own. Like again, you know, the thing, the thing with uh, uh, Steph is that, you know, he's, he's pretty much getting his chance right now to lead the Warriors on his own. And you have him at 29 and 30 in, in the conference, you know, ninth in the conference, whereas Dame in a comparable situation is 32 and 26. Now, that's not a big difference, but, you know, you have a winning team against a losing team. So if you are a Dame guy, you can be like, well, look, you put Dame on those on those uh, Warriors teams with Durant and healthy Clay and, and you know, Draymond is prime and stuff, you probably get – you get all those titles probably against LeBron. If you get at least the same output, you know. That so, wouldn't even you know. <laughs> <laughs> be fair, man. Come on, Dan Dollar with Kevin Durant in the backcourt like that. Oh, and Clay. Yeah. So I mean it's, it speaks to again, it speaks to the talent that's across the league and and there's so many great guards that, you know, maybe some of them are interchangeable. But, you know, still with Steph, he he's put out the output, you know. And when when we look at a time like this where he, you know, for all intents and purposes should be declining, you know, he has stepped up in a way to make himself into, uh, uh, you know, a player who is – who demands notice and maybe even some MVP votes in a year where otherwise he wouldn't get them, you know, if, it, if, if he just played good, you know, if he just, if he just was straight, you know, he, he wouldn't be getting much attention now, but he's obviously playing to a degree where he's demanding so much attention in a year where, you know, a lot of stuff is happening around the league, but he still is demanded uh, that, people pay attention to what he does and on a team where there's not really many threats he's still getting off yeah so he right he doesn't have he can't you know it, it, you have in championship years you had you know, you you had the 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 hard mission of like okay do we can't focus on all these guys at once we can't focus on Durant and uh, and Clay and Steph. So one of these guys are going to kill us, and they rotated at different times. You know uh, who's going to be doing the killing. So so he got to eat, you know, plenty. And then he had his times where he was where he shine. But right now he's everything. If you're a defense, if you're planning a game plan against him, what else do you do but just focus on him? But he's still doing what he's what he's doing even though he's the main focus on the team. So, I see got to give it up for dude, man. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're we getting ready to wrap up here. I wanted to get it – I wanted to localize another story that was sort of big in sports this week uh, with the whole European soccer thing, the Super League thing, that at the beginning of the week looked like it was going to happen. <laughs> But it fell apart in a couple of days. And, you know, is interesting. It, it, I just thought about, you know, maybe this is something I'll do more in, in depth next week. But I just thought about, like, what would a Super League be in, in the NBA? 
you know, because uh, I'm of a mind that there should be probably four or six less teams in the NBA as it is, you know, but, you know, you would, if if you go through each division and each conference and think about, well, where would I take those franchises from? It is a hard thing to do because I've, you know, of course I've done it in my head, but, but I think there is a different way that you could do things, a more Euro way of doing things where, you could possibly have an upper echelon, a premier league, as it were, of the NBA with maybe 12 to 15 teams and then have that middle league with the lesser teams, the rest of the 15 or so teams that are in the league now. There's 30 teams in the NBA now. And then you and you can add like a Seattle franchise that we've been – you know, we've all been asking for for years now. And then you have everything else, the G League and everything else. But with that, like I said, with that Super League or that Premier League, you introduce the idea. That, and this is why it's never going to happen, because you introduce the idea of relegation, because it's still the NBA. But if you if you fall off, after a certain time, if you're like, say, the Knicks and you have that year where you play into that premier league, but then <laughs> everything falls apart the next year and you fall, you fall into that bottom of the of the premier league, then you drop into that that second level. And then another team that maybe plays itself up into the premier league gets in there. But like I say, that's that's a very that's a European model. That's what soccer has done for decades for generations and that was at the heart of what happened with the super league controversy with with soccer they these rich the richest teams in europe wanted to separate themselves from all the other teams and the interesting part about that is that a lot of those teams have stakes Americans have stakes in a lot of those teams now, including people with NBA ties like uh, Mickey Harrison and LeBron James, of all people, who has part ownership in um, – is it Man Manchester United or – I think it's Liverpool. Liverpool? Liverpool, yeah, you're right. Liverpool. Uh, I think Harris, uh, Harrison maybe have United or something. Anyway. Uh, Malcolm Glazer as well, you we talk about the uh, NFL who owns the, the Buccaneers. But Americans have more stakes in these Premier League teams and these these uh, top franchises in Europe than there's ever been. So I think that a lot of people say that that may have influenced some of these, these top franchises, these richest franchises to say, well, let's not, you know, let's not play these other teams anymore. Let's just form our own thing, much like the NBA, where there is in the American leagues, where there is no uh, relegation, and then we just collect, we make our own TV deals and do our own thing, and we make our, uh, you know, keep all our money for ourselves, because you know we don't want to play these lesser teams and risk any relegation or risk any shame of losing to them on a weekly basis. So I don't know. It just is interesting to me to put that whole context in the NBA and think about what would that equate itself to. And, you know, 
don't know. Uh, you guys got any thoughts along those lines? Well, I mean, when you, when you brought this up, I immediately started trying to think about okay, who am I? Who are my teams be? And to be honest with you, I was trying to get to twelve just because it was twelve original teams that wanted to do it in, the, in 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 terms of soccer. I couldn't even get to twelve, man. I stopped at ten. But all <laughs> with all due respect to the Memphis Grizzlies and, and Dallas Mavericks, man, I you know I got um just so you guys can can see. I got the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Suns, based off this season, uh, of course. The Heat, the Nets, the Jazz, um, Sixers, the uh, Nuggets, and the Trailblazers. So I got 10 teams, okay. West, four from the East, that would, that would fall into my Super League kind of uh, dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, and I was – I thought of that too, and basing it off this year – I sort of was – I was more giving than you. I, I did I, – I cut it off at 14. Okay. And I took the top seven from each conference because if you look at the standings, both in the East and the West, after the seven, you have like a two-game gap between the seven team and the eight team. Mm-hmm. And the eight team in the East is uh, less than 500. The Grizzlies are just a game over 500. In the West, so I, to me that that seemed to be a, a, a that's where I, I was allowed to cut off to be. But you, you're a little bit more. I, I respect I respect you having a higher standard and, and <laughs> struggling to get to twelve. I respect. That. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it also brings up the conversation of what we talked about in previous discussions, right? As far as changing your playoff format, because yes. you know. This pre, the premier the Premier League, you know, it, it can support that. You know, you bring the best of the best each season into one area or into one, um, you know, one spe- special league on its own, and you can create your own new TV deals off that one league, um, and have at it. You know, what I mean, if you wanted to do it that way, especially for the playoffs, because you know for sure you got you always have the best of the best in the playoffs, and if you want to increase those chances, obviously because the East isn't as good as the Western Conference. You just get you just eliminate the East and West, just make it a whole yeah. NBA thing. And a lot of people have advocated for that over the years. Hey, you you bring up a good point, like, and that's something that I thought of too. Like, essentially, the playoffs are sort of like the Super League, it, but you just have those restrictions of the conferences. But you could do it like in a way, like you say, Josh, where you eliminate the conferences, you do reseeding, and you know. But you know, like I say, do you like I say, do you do that strictly as a playoff format, or do you maybe do a 30, 40 game schedule that's sort of like after a regular schedule that you would have with all the teams? Like, you know, I don't know, you know. But that's but see, that's what I was that's why I my thinking eventually got to where I was like you have the Super League and that actually the on the top level and you actually do play some games against the second level, but you but the games that you play and win in amongst the first level teams are sort of weighted more. It's, it's probably a little more complicated than it should be, but I, I was just thinking of a way where you have the NBA as it is now, but there's a clear delineation of <laughs> – you know, who is 
the top and who is the bottom and you don't have so much of and you have a you know, like I say you have the relegation factor there where you know it, it means something and, and you can't you know you don't want to necessarily tank and you the you know the way that you build teams and you maintain success is different than the way that it is in the NBA currently. I don't know. I don't know. That's 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 just an interesting thing that I thought of. But you know it, it I, I like I said I I I I am interested too in the way that European sports and American sports can influence each other and if there will be any more cross-pollinization that happens. I remember, Josh, you wrote a good piece around the time that uh, Toronto won a couple years ago and that talked about uh, you know, Adam Silver and his ambitions to extend the game overseas. And, you know, it's been talked for a while about having a team in London or, so, or elsewhere, you know. And, you know, maybe in a generation or two, we may have teams in London and Paris and Barcelona and type other type places. So I don't know, may, if you extend the game in that way, it may change the way that the NBA is ran in a essential way. So, you know, that's something to look forward to possibly. But anyway, I'm going to send you all out on that. Some food for the brain. And uh, <laughs> that's it for though for this week uh, as we run once again. Uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. I don't know if we'll be back on Thursday because I'm planning some uh, watch-along stuff for the NFL draft. That's going to be the first round next Thursday. So if you don't catch us next Thursday – we may be on soon after that. I may do another Sunday show, try to do another Sunday show with uh, maybe a special guest or two. I'm trying to get some some special guests back on the show, some new some new guests as well. So uh, keep keep up with us as far as that goes. Uh, keep up with everything that we do on uh, War Media, on YouTube. Uh, this This episode will be on YouTube as well if you didn't catch all of it. Uh, and, uh, uh, of course, our audio on uh, anchor.fm slash war media. I'll put that back up on the screen. And uh, our guys here, of course, you can follow them at their tags there. Drew, look at what Drew did. And Mr. Hicks, he, uh, he don't have his tag up. He just got... You don't need to tag up at this point. <laughs> you, you, you know, you know what Josh is, man. No, I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, Josh, of course, is out there. What, what is? What is? How can people follow you? At Josh M Hicks Media, both Instagram and Twitter. Man. Follow me on those platforms, and uh, be on, yeah, be on the lookout for uh, ITS next week. There's Kyle, you mentioned about, uh, you know, you're doing the draft thing. Rashad Phillips is coming on the show next week talking, and talking, you know, some NBA stuff, especially some of the NBA draft stuff, a little bit of the NBA draft a little bit too because, you know, the draft is coming up in the next couple of weeks, some playoff stuff. You know, it's going to be real, real, some real basketball discussion with, one of the, with, the, with a real, M, you know, NBA college scout uh, guru. Um, Rashad so, Phillips, man. They, some people say he may be running the team one day or something. Real talk. 
Rashad Phillips definitely gets a lot of burn in social media. So if you want to see what he's doing with uh with our man Josh, definitely check out in the scope next week. But uh uh yeah, with me too, you know, I I kind of randomly changed my name on uh Twitter recently. Uh you can follow me under Means Matters on Twitter now. So if you haven't followed me yet, you know, what you waiting on? I don't know, but <laughs> You know, if you if you look if you look up work um, work right, you won't find that anymore. It's now means matters all lowercase. So that's uh that's on Twitter now and uh, IG K K mean of course. But uh yeah, that's it for now. Though we are uh, gonna send you out on that. Uh, unless you guys have anything else you want to throw out there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I did shout out though to I, I want to uh, go back to the sky again right there. Shout out to uh, Lexi. Was it Lex? Yeah, Lexi Brown, D Brown's daughter, is now a member of the team. And Josh has another, another, uh, <laughs> another girl. He's gonna be fond of on the team. So he's gonna. Uh, how have you been trying to get the? Uh, are you getting you going to season ticket route? Or are you trying to get the the official? Uh, the official, uh, you know, media. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're going the. I'm, I'm going. I'm trying to go the official route. Um, okay. I've had communication. That way, you can get to the locker room. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, but no, I've, I've been in touch with the Chicago sky for sure. Um, obviously, talks have been positive for the most part. They're still trying to figure all those things out, but they know who we are. They know who we, you know, what we do. So. Is looking promising that we'll be in there. Yeah, I'll add us, guy. We've been, we, we, we're professional. You yeah. Know, even Josh. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got Chris Pennant too as well. You know, he, he wasn't on this week, but he'll be, he'll be back soon. But uh, yeah, we definitely, sh- definitely look forward to the sky. And the a great thing about the sky too is that uh, with you know Lori Lightfoot, you know uh. All controversies aside, did something nice this week is announced that, but it, it's kind of late though with the Bulls and the Hawks. But she announced that they can have fans by the end of the year. But it's only like seven games left for the Bulls, at least, and maybe even less for the Hawks in the regular season. But but I guess that means that the Sky will have the whole season where they can accept fans into uh uh. The, the arena down there in the South Loop, uh, so Wintrust. So uh, that'll be good for them, and uh, definitely, I'll definitely try to hit up uh, some of those games in a professional or less than professional capacity, either way. <laughs> but uh, I, I, and I, if I do, if I do it at the less than professional capacity, I may have one of those uh, Chicago, those New Jerseys they have out too, man. I just want to shout those out too, but. They, those are pretty flat, like especially the, I was like Windy City or whatever it said, the one with the blue stripe, something like that. Yeah. I rock one of those. So, but, you know, you catch me out this summer in the sky blue. So, <laughs> <laughs> especially I'm about to get vaccinated too. So, yeah, we're we going to be yeah. out here this summer, man, for real. We, enough of this stuff, man. Enough of this indoor stuff. But uh, that's it, though, for now. Drew, Josh, your man Kyle means right here. We running 
we stay running, and uh, we definitely uh, run in remembrance of all those we've lost and uh, those that we missed. And um, unfortunately, another uh, unfortunate death came across the wire news of a young man, Terrence Clark, from the Kentucky program, uh, died in a car accident, just 20 years old, and he was uh, possibly going to be drafted this year. And, uh, you know, it just makes you think, man, you know, uh, how precious life is, you know. So, you know, let's keep on living for those who uh, who, who aren't anymore and then let's do right and, uh, you know, keep our heads up and stay strong out here, man. And, and uh, uh, above all, keep bouncing. We'll see y'all next week.